Uh, hi, I'm Colin McCaig. If um, people aren't aware, my research is around wider participation and it's encompassed various things about uh, evaluations of um, aim higher and so on and, and, and um, wider participation uh, initiatives after that in different contexts. But it's also, um, I've also involved in projects looking at the admissions um, process within the university and latterly the impacts of markets, particularly on widened participation, start to really uh, become central to my interests. Um, and I've also looked um, quite a lot at um, discourse and content analysis of university access agreement because they're a great place for showing the positionality and the rationale of, of what institutions say and, and actually do about their, um, their efforts to widen access. So that's, that's been a long-term thing, but the, the, the emphasis on the market and all that is my concern is that uh, widening participation students are already coalesced towards the um, bottom of distribution, if you want to use such crude marketing terms of institutions, that if we get what um, the white paper and the green paper before it presuppose, i.e. more and more challenger institutions, institutions that more easily come into the market and potentially replace existing institutions um, that the, the, margin, the marginal student, the non-traditional student, the WP student might continue to coalesce towards the bottom part of, the, um, of that distribution. So um, markets, markets really become, have become much more important in English higher education since the 2004 Act. That was the one that introduced um, variable fees and raised the fees from 1,000 to 3,000. At the same time, the Office of Fair Access was introduced, if you remember, because there was concerns about access. Uh, is that the point Liz was mentioning earlier? I, you know, why do people still go to university at this price? It's almost like that was exactly the same fear in 2004-05 when that, that act was going through. The Office of Fair Access was a setup so that universities could be held to account and at least to say how they would do something, <coughs> something about uh, protecting access. And one of the key weapons in that was bursaries. So we had the fees introduced up to 3,000 and meant to be variable, so there was meant to be a market. At the best universities would charge free, but the, the not so good ones would uh, charge slightly less, um, which obviously didn't, <laughs> didn't work. All bar one, I think Leeds Metropolitan held out at 2,000 for a while uh, and then nearly went bust. Um, but they also, strangely, introduced the market in bursaries. They said, we won't have you a national bursary for everyone at a fixed fee that everyone above the residual household income at the RHI uh, below the cutoff would get exactly the same money. No. They thought, well, let's, have a, let's introduce a market effect there. And it was very interesting because, you know, as a political scientist, I'm always asking why. Why, why, why on earth would you do, do such a thing? Um, and you could probably rationalise it in, in terms of choice. Different institutions have different missions. Different institutions have different um, recruitment gaps sometimes, or, or they've got a good social thing like, well, we need to get, let's try and get more girls into engineering, let's uh, create a bursary for that. But the um, problem was that there wasn't really a market effect with fees, uh, and there wasn't really with bursaries either, partly because probably the difference between a few hundred quid wasn't the biggest factor when people were choosing. People didn't know they'd be eligible for bursaries um, at the time they applied, or even the time they accepted quite often. Students don't um, even know. I'm currently doing some work, work for Offer uh, and doing some research into what students know about the bursaries and quite often the, the money just appears in the bank. They don't even know how they're eligible, why they're eligible, 
where they're eligible next year. So for a variety of reasons, the bursary market didn't happen in the same in the way uh, that was originally planned. But like I say, it's, why on earth would you do that? So then the market ramping really started to grow even more because because by the time uh, towards the Labour's period, the end of Labour's period of office, they uh, appointed Lord Brown to review student finance, and he came up with a couple of a couple of suggestions. One was to um, remove the numbers cap, or well, gradually. I think he, he I think he suggested they have thirty thousand a year extra student. Uh, and he also suggested raising the tuition fee up to, I think, maximum 12 or something, didn't he? So that, that, was, um, that, that was what was suggested. Now, when it report, reported in um, the summer of 2010, and then the government immediately put the fees up to 9,000, there was a vote in Parliament, and there was a lot of hoo-ha. Um, so we had the 9,000 maximum fee. So roll back to 2004, there was supposed to be a a variable fee market. Um, by March of, the, of 2011, all the universities had to prepare for their access agreements to follow the previous year. So they had to say already what their tuition fees would be. As soon as it became known what the majority of institutions were going to charge well over 8,000, or the average fee was going to be something like 8,300, the government had modelled for their, re their new repayment scheme would work if there was an average fee of 7,500. So immediately there was a problem that there was going to be a public, uh, a public spending issue created by this fee imbalance. Hence the white paper that came out. You might remember there's very, lots of very complex market levers in there. Um, and again, that, that, that was all, all designed to create a market incentive. And what what, what, I, what the biggest market incentive was a thing called the AAB or the high grades policy which was to try and persuade students that have got potential to go to better universities to go to them and then they could expand the numbers of people with high grades and then jettison those who didn't have high grades so they would try and create a, a gap I think between the universities where the majority of people had high grades and those that were losing their AAB students would then have to lower their prices or bid. In fact, there was another incentive, what I think the government called it the quality and value option. Yeah. We create a flexible margin of about 20,000 places to support expansion of providers who combine good quality with value for money. So this is the first time government really talks about things being cheap also being good quality. So at one end of the market they had AAB for the, we already know for the UCAS tariff and grades, there is also a bit of sorting mechanism, isn't there? But there wasn't one through price. So I think the government, what was really attempting to do was link the two things so that high grade, higher tariff grade education would be dearer than lower tariff grade education and that would create a price mechanism. Um, and that was, that was the plan. But again, that, that didn't really seem to work for a variety of reasons, partly because they only gave it two years before changing policy again. Partly because the majority of people with the highest grades already went to the more desirable universities. Partly for a lot of other reasons why people would go to, say, to mention Sheffield Hallamack University as an example again. Some of our courses are very high, highly regarded with high entry requirement. Some people who live in that area don't want necessarily to go to the, uh, the nearest Russell group. So for a variety of reasons there was this a bit of stickability. There wasn't this mass migration from the 
you know, so this market price market effect didn't really emerge in, in the way that it was went to. So here we go again with the next attempt to try, try and link price and quality. <clears throat> um, come about after they remove the cap. Lifting the cap is actually the most radical thing because if you increase the supply, it's interesting what Liz was saying there about how many, how many, pe how many people do the Conservatives want to go to university? Well, they seem to want to increase the number of people um, going to, into higher education, don't they? Working on the basis that the more people there is going in, the more um, the price, the price um, issue will emerge. Because when you've got a, uh, an excess of supply, uh, an excess of um, demand and not enough supply, price isn't going to fall. We would call that market failure. And you're only really going to get the price um, coming down on average if you do increase the supply and hence the opening up of the market. Um, but there's two, again, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can uncap, basically if you go back to the theoretical position, if you uncap fees, only the most de deserving institutions are going to get to uh, so you could, un you could potentially uncap fees. The Tories have been quite reluctant to do that. They're having to probably change the law in the, in the HE bill just to get it uh, to go above, um, to, to allow for 9,000 plus inflation. But don't forget, the crisis here is the fact that um, they need to get public spending down. It's the rab charge by, caused by the fact that average tuition fees is now about 8,700. It's got higher and higher. So we're getting further and further away from this average. They need to get down, so they're not, I don't think they're going to encourage the raise, raising of fees. But, what, but at the other end of things, and also if you, rate, if you do allow fees to go up, and you say, well, oh, God, only Oxford and Cambridge will charge 12, 14, 16. What tends to happen when you raise fees is the average does get dragged up because uh, perception price is seen as a mark of quality anyway. So much safer is, is to actually open, uh, take the cap off numbers. And that, that way you can have a lot more providers coming in. Hence, it was very interesting when the green paper came out. Uh, initially, it was all about the TEF. That was the thing that concerned people. There's not a lot of price differential. If you look at the Teach and Excellence framework, it's only a little bit of extra money. But So in the, in the green paper, the TEF bit was right up front. In the white paper, it starts at page 44. All the stuff about making it easy to get degree awarding powers, university titles and so on, there in the front of the document. Sorry, I have to stop.